here where they went, they were in trouble. And they were just known for getting into trouble. And finally, mother and sister, in aspiration, found, found out there was a minister down the street from them that they said he was really good with children, especially discipline. So he, she sent both little boys, one was about seven and the other one was about five or six, sent them down there to, to this preacher. And he had one of them, had one of them stand out, sit outside while he took the herd from the older one in. And he looked at this little kid and he said, I just want to ask you something. Where's God? And the kid just looked at him and didn't want to say anything. I said, where's God? He said it again. Where's God? And when he said it really, he said it loud to this kid. This kid jumps up, runs out the door. And when he does, the other one sitting out there saw his brother running, so he ran behind him. And so they run all the way home and got under the bed. And he said, what happened? What happened? He says, I don't know. He says, but I think God's missing, and they think we've done it. So, so. Well, I want you to turn, if you will, over to um, Hebrews chapter 5. Uh, and uh, Yeah, chapter 5, start with verse 11. And we're going to read some verses here. I know that, as you know as well as I do, uh, we look around us and we've never seen a time like we're living in right now. There are those that are talking about simply that whether or not the very precepts and the things that we have studied in books for all of our life and history and other things, whether those things are going to be able to withstand what we're facing today. This is not just the wind blowing through the trees. This is more of a almost a tsunami that's coming in on us. We don't take a stand if we don't, as God's people, if the voice of reason within this country doesn't stand up, we may not, in the years to come, have a country. I've never seen a time like this. But how God wants us to know that He is with us, and He wants us to know that there is that we need to have a spirit of discernment within this time. That's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about discerning this time that we're living in. So go with me over to chapter 5 of Hebrews, and let's start reading at verse 11. Listen to what it says. He says, Of whom we have much to say, and it's hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need to be someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. Verse 14. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. That those who by reason of use of their senses exercise to discern Father, I thank you for this opportunity I have. So, Lord, this is not just a time that we just come together and hear a sermon and go back home. Lord, we need to hear from you. Well, I'm afraid, Father, that if we don't hear from you, I don't know what's going to happen to us. The hour is late. You told us in your word that, that the, the night is far spent. Come and get us, or we're going to be facing unbelievable times. 
chapter or this book, you ought to say, Lord, help me to understand. May the Holy Spirit be my teacher and show me what I need what I need to know and what I need to say. And some of the things would be hard to explain because he says you become dull of hearing. In verse 12, Paul says, in this time in your walk, because he says, and though at this time you ought to be teachers, you know, when you look at our Christian walk, we start off just as when we're first born again with Christ, we start off in kindergarten and we graduate from there. And he's saying by this time you ought to at least be to beyond high school to college level, or you maybe ought to be, if you're really walking with the Lord, you ought to maybe be in graduate school. But he said, I can do it. You're still acting like you're in kindergarten. He's saying you're still in the milk. He's saying you ought to be, when you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. And I believe one of the things that's happening with the coronavirus and all the other things that are happening in our world today, it's putting pressure upon Christians, and it's demonstrating to them where they really are with the Lord, where they're really trusting in Him. Anybody can trust in Him when everything's going good. But boy, you find out where people are when, when, the, when the bottom begins to fall out and the pressure begins to come. So he says, but instead you need someone to teach you the basic first principles of God. And then he says in verse 13, For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of the righteousness for the base. He says, you are those who are, need milk because you're unskilled in the use of the word of God. You need milk and not solid food. And what is milk? Milk is something that has to go through the regurgitation system of somebody else in order for you to be powerful for you to use it. You have to ask somebody else, rather than just taking the Word and going along and taking the Word and with the Holy Spirit, let Him be your teacher. And in verse 14, he talks about solid food. What's solid food? It means the deeper things of the Word of God in Scripture. It belongs to those, he says, of full age. And, and Jesus one time said, he said this, he said, if you're faithful over a few things, I will make you rule over many. And immediately we think of rewards, and we think of something that God's going to give us when we get to heaven or something else. I'm not for sure that's it. I'm not for sure if what he's really saying to us is that when you're really faithful and you do what I ask you to do, and you really show me that you really have this deeper understanding, and you, you have such a thirst for the Word of God, I'm going to show you things that are going to go deeper. If you are be faithful over these small things, I'm going to make you ruler over your spirit. I'm going to make you ruler over some things in your life that you're going to be able to control. You're going to be able to control those habits. You're going to be able to control. Because think about this. What is the last fruit of the spirit? What is it? Self-control. I'm going to show you things that are so deep in the Word of God that nobody else has seen before. Why is it? Why is it that you can sit down and, and begin to read something and you just can't get by it? You just because that word just speaks out to you. And notice what he does here. He considers a Christian to be mature or full of age or full age. He says this: those who, by reason of their senses, exercise to discern both good and evil. You have a discerning spirit. Those who, by reason of use of their senses, exercise to discern both good and evil. And that's not something before you begin to pat yourself on the back and say, boy, that's me, I'm really that kind of person. Before you do that, let me just say this to you, and that is simply this, that that's something that the Holy Spirit does inside you, and that means that you have to have an absolute total dependence 
upon him. I'm going to tell you something. I've not always walked that way. I've walked in my own strength too much. I've walked in a way many times that I've tried to discern things and do things on my own, and I've said, Lord, I can handle it. What I've come to the place to realize, if I don't get up out of the sack every morning, if I don't go to Him alone, if I don't open up that book and just get something out of it, because the main thing of it is, is I am demonstrating to Him, Lord, my absolute dependence is upon You and nobody else. We demonstrate every day whether we're, we're depending upon Him or we're depending upon our own flesh. So as we go through today this great time of testing, First with the coronavirus and now the chaos in the streets and tearing down statues. And the truth, this has nothing whatsoever to do with equality. And I've said this before, but read the mission statement of Black Lives Matter and you're going to find out where they're They're Marxists. It has to do with chaos. And listen to what Proverbs 22:28 says. Do not remove the ancient landmarks which your fathers have sent. That's what it says. We enter into this time of testing that I believe the Lord has forewarned us. We have to be discerning and need to pray that the Lord will give us that discerning spirit as to what to do, what to do with our family. Jesus said in Luke 12, 56, and we, it says, hypocrites, you can discern. He's talking to the, to the Pharisees. He says, you can discern the face of the sky and to the earth, but how is it you cannot discern the time? You can look at all types of other things and discern those, but you cannot discern the time. The Pharisees, well, they did not have a discerning spirit. And as a result, not only did they miss the things that God was showing, but they missed Him. Because He came into His own, His own received Him not. And as the Lord gets ready, boy, here, here, I've got to, I've got to get my, my body, my spirit, and my soul tuned in to the very wavelength that God wants there as He gets ready to come. I need to be listening to Him. I need to be listening as He gets ready to come. I've always said this, and I believe with all my heart, I believe that when the Lord gets ready to come, I believe He's going to let His children know. You say, well, nobody knows of that. I understand all that, but I believe if He gets ready to come, He's going to send a message to His children, letting them know, I'm getting ready to burst forth the eastern sky. And you need to have your your, your you know, we used to sing that old gospel song, turn your radio on. Brother, that's what we need to do. We need to find the right station and be listening so that we can be that discerning. You know, I want you to notice something. I noticed this over in 1 Corinthians 2.14. He says this, But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. He's talking about the person who's never come to Christ. The natural man. The natural man. And then he talks about verse 15. It says that, but he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no man. What's it mean? He, 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 he who is spiritual judges all things. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is in him and helps him to discern those things. In verse 16, it tells us this. It tells us simply, Who has known the mind of the Lord that He may instruct Him? But we have the mind of Christ. Listen, when you came to Jesus, God gave you the mind of Christ. You have the mind of Christ. 
He tells us, Philippians, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Let that mind be. He, you have the capability to judge all things, good and bad. But you also have the capability to discern whether or not in making decisions, whether or not you should do something or not do something. Whether you should buy something or not buy something. You know, many of the decisions we make have nothing to do with good and evil. It has to do with whether or not we're going to be so overwhelmed if we make that decision, whether it's going to take us away from Him. I bet people get to see, see them make decisions of, of wanting to buy something or do something, and they get so involved in, in the finances, the next thing you know, they, they're coming to me and they're saying, i got to take another job. Why do you got to take another job? Well, I can't meet the payments. And, and, and guess what? When you go to that place, what are they going to tell you? You know what the first thing you're going to say. Well, we need somebody to work on Sundays. And you say, well, Lee, you're just saying that because you want people in church. Yeah, I want people in church. But let me tell you something. The Bible, Jesus said not to forsake the assembly together yourself. Why is that? Because you can hear the Word. But you're not just here for yourself. You're here for other people. There are people that are watching your life. You may think they're not. There you are. They're watching your life. And they want to see whether or not what you... And I believe this with everything that's in me. I believe there are people that maybe would disagree with you. There are people that will fuss with you. There are people that will... that will uh, that, uh, Everything you mentioned about Christianity, boy, they turn you off like that. But deep inside... They really want you to be successful because they really want to believe there's some people out there that are not fake and phony. The world is looking for that. The Holy Spirit in us. As we take these words of God, the Holy Spirit will illuminate what you read. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, verse 12, it says, For the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division. Well, let's stop there. The Word of God is powerful. We all know that. We know how important the Word of God is. But what you've never, what we don't see in this, look at this verse. It says, because it's what? What's the purpose of taking the Word of God in? Because it's piercing even to the division of what? Soul and spirit. What did I first open up with? I open up with the fact that you're supposed to be led by the Spirit of God, the Spirit and the soul and the body. So look what this is. Piercing even to the division of soul and spirit. He will tell you when not. It's you making that decision or whether or not it's God making that decision. Soul and spirit and joints and marrow. What is that? That's your body. If you get the Word of God inside you with with the Holy Spirit, because why? It is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Notice that phrase, the discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. That's why Psalms 119.11 says, Your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. That's why Psalms 119.105 says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet, and a light unto my path. Thy word of God, coupled with the Holy Spirit, the teacher inside you, you are equipped. And when you do that, I'm telling you, you don't lack anything. Why? Because it's all about Him. It's not how intelligent you are. It's not how educated you are. It's whether or not you're absolute total dependence on Him. So why is it that so many are buying into all the chaos and the media lies when they are highly... When, and, and, and a lot of these people, think about it, a lot of them have PhDs. There's a lot of them so educated. It's unbelievable. And I met a lot of people when I was going through college that were highly educated and couldn't find a way to the bathroom. They had no common sense whatsoever. You know, that's not to say you're not going to be educated. You know, I believe in education. I spend enough time and money in it. 30 hours above a master's degree. I understand all that. 
there's so many today that are by highly educated people because only those who come to Christ by the Holy Spirit dwells in and studies the Word have a discerning spirit and see things for what they really are. That is the tribe of Issachar, the Bible talks about, who knew the Word of God, but they also knew what to do in the times that were there. But there are those who come to Christ for salvation but don't depend on Him day by day and are not walking in the Spirit or caught up in all this and don't discern because they only see their natural through their natural eyes. And I will tell you, I've talked to so many people, and I know people don't want me to say this, but I'm going to tell you this simply this. They're scared to death. They're scared to death. They're, just, they're frightened. One of the spiritual gifts that God gives us to some is discerning spirits. And notice the spirit is plural. Plural. There are many spirits out there today. The enemy today is not is not Black Lives Matter or even the coronavirus or Antifa or unemployment. Or the enemy is Satan. And what we've got to come to the place and understand that we as Christians need to understand that God wants us to understand that the battle that we face today is a spiritual battle. But we fought too many battles and we've lost too many battles in the years past simply because we did not see them as spiritual battles. We thought they were natural battles and we went into battle with a knife and we got there and we found out it was a gunfight. That's what we found out. Because our enemy is spiritual, then in order to combat it, the only way that we're going to be able to combat it is this, that we need spiritual power. There's a demonic world. Let me say it again. I'm not talking about Walt Disney World here. There is a demonic world. It is true. There are demons out there. There is a demonic world out there. Can a person be demon-possessed in 2020? The answer to that is yes. They can be demon-possessed. Do I believe that a Christian can be demon-possessed? I don't believe so. If they're truly saved. Why do I not believe a Christian? There, there's a lot of churches here in Winchester right now teaching that you can be, that a Christian can be demon possessed. And they see demons in everybody. Everything that happens, you always got to get that demon out. Everything else like this. I understand that. Why do you not believe that a Christian can be demon possessed? Because of 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. Listen to this. What does it say? It says, You are God, little children, and have overcome them. And listen to what this says. Because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. God is in you. Christ, when you open up your life to Jesus come in, Christ came in you, and He is greater than He who's in the world. And He not get this, He is omnipresent. What does that mean? It means He fills up every space, every every inch of your life that He can. So the, well, let me just say this to you. There is no room for Satan inside you. But while I believe that Christians cannot be demon possessed, I believe that Christians can be demon oppressed. He can put a demon on you. He can put an imp on you. See, see, see what we've done, we've elevated Satan up here with God. Here's God here saying, that's not true. Satan, what the book of Isaiah tells us when we get to heaven one of these days, we're going to look over and see the devil.
disciple, we're going to look at him and say, you're the one that caused all this problem. That's what we're going to say. He's not there. And Jesus is omniscient. He's omnipresent. He's omnipotent. All power. And, and you know, he, you know, the Bible tells me that even this, it says, if I will resist the devil, what will it say? He'll flee from me. That's what it says. You know, and so, so part of our problem is this, that we really don't believe what Ephesians 6.12 says. We really don't believe what Ephesians 6.12 says. What does it say? For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Now, let me just let, let me just say this to you. Also, I want to warn you about something while we're on this subject. Because while I believe a Christian cannot be demon-possessed, he can be oppressed, and the demon can put his Satan put he, so he's not he's not omniscient. He's, he can't be everywhere at one time. So he has to use imps and, and demons and things, and put, he'll put one on your shoulder. So he can't be everywhere. But 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 listen to this. I also believe that if you monkey around with things, you can get yourself in a lot of trouble. I know. You know. We, we went. Where was that place we went out in Arizona? What was somebody like that, or somebody's got, you know, and they don't, listen, if they do have any power, where are they getting their power from? Satan. You know, I, I don't need somebody telling me my future. I don't need to look at a horoscope. I don't need some woman to sit in a, look through a big glass ball or something, try to tell me what, whether or not my horse is going to come in in a fifth race or something like that. I don't need that. But listen, if you do that, I've heard some highly intelligent, spirit-filled people say, that if you monkey with that stuff, you can get yourself in a lot of trouble. You open yourself up to that Ouija board. You know, I, I would be very careful of our children many times and some of the things they watch on online or whatever, that, that some of this stuff that's there, man. I'm telling you, he's looking for ways that he can get to you. But part of our problem is we don't believe in Ephesians 6.12. We wrestle against, so we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness in this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. We see that there is, what you see in this is that Satan is organized. There's, a, there's an organization to the madness that we're seeing. It really is. You know? I mean, I mean, you can't tell me that when we see some of these riots and things on, and these people have got letters with them that tell them to wear long sleeve shirts. So they don't get burnt. They tell them to, to drink milk so the pepper spray won't. Tell them to bring a hammer with them. When you see flatbed, flatbed trucks that have pallets of bricks on it, going to places, dropping off pallets of bricks where there is no construction going on. Satan is organized. He's organized. And so when I say he's organized, Paul lists in here in verse 6 12, he lists four, four places. Areas of demonic activity in, in Ephesians 6.12. What's he saying? First off, he says there's principalities. What's a principality? A 
now are demons who have oversight of nations, and they're like generals. Then he has powers. What's that? That's the private. And what their old job is simply is to possess human beings. Then he has rulers of darkness of this world, are those who have the charge of Satan's worldly business, drugs and prostitution, human slavery, uh, 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 pornography. Then you have verse 4. Or the fourth one is spiritual wickedness, high places. Are those demons in the heavenlies who have charge over religion? Well, he's organized. So what do we see? We just see that the devil is organized. But while he's powerful, he's not on the level of our Lord, God the Father. He's not on the level with God the Father. And Peter says what? He says in 1 Peter 5, 8, he's like a roaring lion walking about, seeking whom he may devour. Well, who is it that he's going to try to seek out? I will tell you exactly. He's going to seek out the person who doesn't know the Word of God, who doesn't have an active prayer life, who's not in church. That's the person he's going to seek out. And that's why so many people who once said they were Christian now don't even believe that God loved them. That's why sometimes you have somebody that will come to you and they will say to you, well, uh, Lee, I, I, you know, I, or they'll come and they'll say, you know, I've really been thinking about coming to church and, and uh, you know, and, and coming to you. So, man, that's great. He says, listen, if you come, I'll meet you. I'll meet you at the front door and we'll come in. So the next Sunday comes and you're down here and you're waiting for him to come. And they don't show up. Next Sunday comes, they don't show up. And then you run into them at Kroger and you say, well, man, what happened? So I thought you'd come to church. And well, I'm just, I'm just, uh, I decided not to come. What happened? I'll tell you exactly what happened. If you go back and you read the sower and the seed, the seed fell, but where did it fall? It fell on hard places. Why? So that the devil can came and he stole that seed away. That's what happened to him. When, you, when somebody comes to you and God gives you, you've got a window. You've got a window trying to reach that person. You know, when, when God asked Satan where he'd been in the book of Job, listen to what he says in Job 1.7. He says, And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth. He's looking for somebody he can divide. Do you ever wonder why that when you pray sometimes the ceiling, and the Bible actually does say this, ceiling are like bronze and why it takes them... It's why sometimes it seems like your prayers, it takes a while. Well, if I go over to Daniel 10, 13, listen to what this says. Because the angel is talking to Daniel, and he tells him, Oh, Daniel, mighty loved of God. He tells him how God loves him. And then he says, But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. Behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. He's saying, Daniel, we heard you the moment you prayed, the moment you asked me. We were right there, we were ready to go, and we got withstood by the prince of Persia. What does this say? It says that Satan has people that are over, over Arius, and he withstood him. He doesn't want your prayers to make it there. This is why sometimes it's so hard to pray. But Michael the archangel came. Now, over in the book of Luke, chapter 11, verse 24 and 28, and listen to what this says. Jesus says this. He says, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man... He goes through dry places seeking rest, and he finds none. And he says, I'll return to my house from which I came. Uh, and, and then he goes on, and when he comes, he finds it swept and, and put in, in order. And verse 26, then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell there, and the last state of the man is worse than the first. I'm just going to stop right there. I'm not going to read the rest of the verse. But, so what's he talking about? He's talking about reformation. 
against regeneration. What I mean, there are a lot of people who think they're good enough to go to heaven. There are a lot of people who think they can do something in order to get into heaven. Even though the Bible says in Titus 3, 5, not by works of righteousness, which we've done, but according to His mercy, He saved us when it tells us in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourself, not of works, least any man should boast. But they think that, and that's a reformation. They think, oh, if I could just clean myself up, if I could just stop doing certain things, I'd do all this. And so they do all this. They, they go and they clean their whole house out. And they think, boy, I got my house all cleaned out. And once they get their whole house all cleaned out, then what happens? The house is empty. What's he saying to us? He's saying to us simply that once I get my house clean, yes, we got to repent. Yes, we got to say, God, forgive me. But once that happens, I've got to fill that house with the Spirit of the living God. And if I don't fill it with Jesus, if I don't fill it with the Spirit of the living God, there's going to be some spirits that come back in here. And the worst, the thing that's going to happen is the state of that man is going to be worse than it was, seven times worse than it was before. That there are blows who believe they're good enough to go to heaven and they can't do something. But, but he cleanses his house and he sweeps it in order. A person can stop drinking or using drugs or looking at pornography or whatever and empty their life and reform their life where the house is empty and they have reformed, but their life is empty and it has to be filled. And the only condition that can fill your house, your life, and the demons can't come in is absolutely surrendered to Jesus Christ. you got to fill your house. It's, it's, yes, you, you See, this is why reformation won't work. Clean it up all you want to. There's got to be regeneration, except the man be born of the water and the spirit of Canaan or the king of heaven. You know, Jesus says over in Revelation 3.20, He says this, He says, Behold, I stand at the door. You've heard, you've heard this verse so many times in this church. We stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in unto him and dine with him and he with me.
evolution and atheism and agnosticism. Then comes the spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter and they dwell there. My question is, is this the path that the United States is on today? Because if it is, we're in trouble. At one time, Germany was a Christian nation with men that were great reformers like Luther. And they swept their house clean, and then they ended up with Adolf Hitler because he didn't feel it bad. to realize that we cannot overcome spiritual evilness with intellectualism. But we don't have to we don't have to because Second Corinthians chapter 10, 3, 5, 8, listen to what it says, as though we walk in the flesh, we're here in the flesh. We do not war according to the flesh. We don't, we gotta get in our head that's not the way we overcome the problems in our life. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not a knife going to a gunfight. They're not carnal but mighty in God pulling down strongholds casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Our weapons are mighty, able to bring down strongholds. Where, where do I start to use these mighty weapons? The only way those weapons are going to work is on your knees. I believe that he was talking about the days that lead up to the rapture and then to the tribulation. In 2 Thessalonians 2.7, it says, For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Brother, we can see that. I think what's really shocking us right now, we didn't realize how bad it was when it talked about lawlessness. And lawlessness, lawlessness that the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Uh, only he who now restrains will do so when he's taken out of the way. And that is the Holy Spirit with the church. You know? And if this lawlessness comes, what God's going to do with it, He's going to send strong delusion that they because they don't believe the truth. And, and we would have to say, as we see this lawlessness in our in our world today, we're going to have to say, Amen. Yeah, we see it, Lord. Because He says the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, and it is. What many today want to do is to take the Word of God, and rather than understanding what it's saying and learn to apply it to what's happening today, no, we want to modernize the Word to bring it up to date, make it say what we want it to say, to change it so we can understand it today in today's terms. For example, the Bible talks about people in Scripture that had seizures. And in, in, in place of that, it does say epilepsy. And they fall on the ground, they roll in the fire, and we say, well, Lord, we well, he, you know, he's what there really was. That wasn't even, that was, that, all that was was just, that was just epilepsy. That's what it was. But you know, in every incident that Jesus performed this miracle, it also says he healed them and he called out and separate Jesus from, you cannot separate him from his miracles and all the other things. What we got to understand, though, more than anything else, we got to understand that we're in a spiritual battle. And I will also say this to you. Because we're in this battle, because you've named the name of Jesus, we cannot remain neutral. There's a great quote by a man by the name of Martin Niemöller. He was a, one of the most decorated heroes of World War I from Germany. 
Christ. The thing that converted to Christ, he was one of the few other than other than Bonhoeffer that stood up to Adolf Hitler. He, one time, Neumuller actually confronted confronted Hitler to his face, and they said all these people around him. When he did that, I guess everybody just stood, stood back because they were scared to death of Hitler. Not Neumuller. He went to jail. But eventually, they 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 uh, martyred him. But here's his quote. He said, "When the Nazis came for communists, I remained silent." I was not a communist. When they locked up the Social Democrats, I remained silent. I was not a Social Democrat. When they came for the trade unionists, I did not speak out. I was a trade. I was not a trade unionist. When they came for the Jews, I remained silent. I was not a Jew. When they came for me, there was no one left to speak out. Guys, I, I don't get political here, but I'm going to tell you, if you don't vote, we're in trouble. We can 
need to continually remind ourselves that God is with us, that there, that simply that God, uh, there's no other, that, that God gave Jesus another name. What was it? Emmanuel. What does it mean? It means this. It means God with us. And Jesus said in John 14, 27, Peace I give unto you, peace I give unto you, not as the world gives, but do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. God doesn't abandon His people. Even when you do things you shouldn't do, He doesn't abandon you. Our problem is that we look at the situation through the veil of our carnal mind and, and not through the filter of God's promises. But regardless of our circumstances, God is still on His throne, guys. Too many times we think that when everything is going well and nobody's sick and the bills are paid and everything is going so good that if there was two of you, you couldn't stand it. But the moment everything goes south, oh God, where are you? i tell you where he is. He's still on his throne. Isaiah 43, 2 says, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burnt. Are the flames scorch you? He would go through the water with you. Remember when your basement flooded, God was with you. When you go through the river, when your family talked to you and going whitewater rafting and you almost drowned, God was with you. When you went through the fire, when you almost burnt your house down trying to light your new barbecue grill, God was with you. He's never going to leave you. God is with you and still on His throne regardless of the circumstance or what happened to you or what you've got yourself into. But our real problem is that we make God too small and our problems look like Mount Rushmore when God is greater than all things. He's out of time and space. Who is our God? When I was thinking about that this, this week, God directed me something. He directed me to something I hadn't seen for a long time. Probably one of the greatest sermons ever preached was preached by a man by the name of uh, uh, that was by the name of S.M. Lockridge. S.M. Lockridge, he was a great black preacher, and the S stands for Shadrach, and the M stands for uh, uh, Meshach. Yeah, Shadrach, Meshach. He said he didn't get to Abednego, but that's what it is. So listen to what he's talking about. And I thought about this, and I thought about what we've got to see. What do we got to do to overcome this? We've got to see God for who he is. That's what God's calling us. In the midst of all the coronavirus, in the midst of all the chaos we got, we got to see who God is. We got to see that He's our King, King Jesus. That's what we got to see. So, Brother Rocker, he wrote this. He said, "That's my King." The Bible says that my King is a seven-way King. He's the king of the Jews, that's a racial king. He's the king of Israel, that's a national king. He's the king of righteousness, that's a king. He's the king of ages, he's the king of heaven, he's the king of glory. He's the king of kings, and he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. Well, I wonder, do you know him? David said, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. No far-seeing telescope can bring into visibility the coastline of his shoreless supply. No barrier can hinder him from pouring out his blessings. He's an enduring strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperatively powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? 
He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's Son. He's the center Savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He stands in the solitude of Himself. He's awesome. He's unique. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He's the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the supreme problem in higher criticism. He's he's a, a fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the cardinal necessity of spiritual religion. He's the miracle of the ages. He's super superlative of everything good that you choose to call him. He's the only one qualified to be all sufficient Savior. I wonder, do you know him today? He supplies strength for the weak. He, he's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and he sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals He heals the sick. He, he cleanses the leper. He forgives the sinner. He discharges the debtor. He delivers the captive. He, 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 he defends the people. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the aged. He rewards the diligent. He beautifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. Well, my king is king. He's the king of knowledge. He's the wellspring of wisdom. He's the doorway of deliverance. He's the pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory. Do you know him well? His office is manifold. His promise is sure. His light is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. His yoke is easy. And his burden is light. I wish I could describe him to you, but he's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. You can't get him out of your mind. You can't get him out of your hand. You can't outlive him. You can't live without him. The Pharisees couldn't stand him, but he found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. The witnesses couldn't get their testimonies to agree. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him. And the grave couldn't hold him. Yeah, that's my king. That's my king, the Jesus. Amen. You ought to hear him do it. You know, man, that's my king. When I said faith entertained faith, I contaminated because Romans says in 8.15 that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Romans 10.17 also says this. It says, So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. 8.15 says, Do you not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption by whom you cry out, Abba, Abba, Father. You know, that's the problem. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. But it works the other way, too. If you spend your time listening to the negative things, your fear will grow. If you keep feeding your fear with fearful information, your fear will grow. You need to get up every morning and look in the mirror and say, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. But just as God was on the throne in the life of Joseph, He is on the throne in your life too. And our God is not a God that requires two days or 30 days or 30 years. He doesn't have to gather resources together before He can answer. He's out of time. He's out of space. He's just like He did in the life of Joseph. One minute He's sitting as a prisoner, and the next minute He's the next most powerful man in Egypt. But how many, how many years did it take for problem today. What's the delay? How many years did it take Joseph to get to be from a prisoner to be to be second in command in Egypt? It took two years. Why did it take two years? Because remember the story of the baker and the butler? Remember that story? And he told he told the, the butler that God was going to restore him back to his place. 
he told the baker that God was going to give him a haircut and he's going to go a little go a little higher than what he thought he was going to set his head on. Pharaoh would. But as the baker was going, or as the butler was going out, Joseph did something. What did he do? He reached over and grabbed him by the arm and he said, "Hey, when you get to Pharaoh, remember what I just did." When he did that, God was listening. God heard that. He said, "No, you're not ready yet." He's still trying to trust in what you do, rather than trust absolutely in me. Later on, two years later, God could have got him out of there in two seconds, but didn't do that. Why? Because he was still trusting himself. Oh, my friend, I know I, I'm not. I'm not trying to. You know, somebody else, hey, well, you're diminishing what's happening around. You're diminishing the coronavirus. You're diminishing. You're diminishing all the all, all the problems. Like, no, I'm not. I'm trying to diminish it anyway. I'm just telling you, and I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to tell anybody to come out that they feel they need to be in or whatever. I, that's your decision. You need to be in it. But I'm telling you, there comes a time and a place that you don't have to trust God rather than trusting what's happening around you. In this whole book, that's the whole thing. All these people through the circumstances and all the things that happen, they have to come a time that they have to trust God. That's what we need to do. Maybe you got something that you really want to get to today. Maybe you want to just simply say, Father, I've been holding back. And Lord, I want to get this to you. I want to trust you. Maybe you're here today and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. That would be the first start. You can't reform and sweep your house clean. You've got to put something in it that makes you. Now, so we're going to have a verse of invitation. Whatever your need may be, if you'll pray with you, if you need to be. But if you've never come to Christ, oh, what a day this is. I, you know, I, I meant what I prayed earlier.